0: From its beaches and inlets to its forests and heathlands, Suffolk is a wonderful place to visit, but a great place in which to live. And yet what makes Suffolk so fantastic isn't just its natural scenery and wonderful open skies, it's the people who inhabit this wonderful county. Suffolk is full of extraordinary people, of amazing businesses and staggeringly helpful community groups so the reason why we've put this podcast together the reason why we have the Suffolk money podcast is that we have found that there are only three things we can do with money we can spend it we can save it or we can give it away so we speak with community groups and charities to which we can give we talk with independent financial advisors and money experts about our savings and we talk with entrepreneurs and business leaders about places in which we can spend our money. This is a series of podcasts supported by Kingsfleet Wealth Independent Financial Advisors. Perhaps you've been forced into making a change in your life that when you now look back has been for the better. In today's podcast, we speak with Jason Salisbury, who has created an incredible dairy business just north of Needham Market. However, something has also changed for Jason within the last couple of years, and our conversation goes on to explain what he has done, where he now is, and what his plans are for the future.
1: So in Suffolk we have 50 cows in milk, so they're predominantly Jersey Guernsey or Ayrshire, so, so that's your Channel Island star breed. They're milked um, through a robot, and uh, so they have the freedom of choice to come into the machine and get milking whenever they want, so two or three o'clock in the morning is their business period and um and the milk is then sold either through a vending machine we do whole milk or semi-milk um but predominantly we're cheesemakers so we make just under 20 tons of cheese a year which is sold throughout east anglia mainly so that's your specialist food shops and delis um they place the order with the wholesalers and
0: they come down and take the cheeses away well, wow, there's lots of things we need to find out, have some follow-up <laughs> questions on that. So first of all, whereabouts is that in Suffolk? So, so this is
1: um, just north of Needham Market on the A140, mm. um, just on the right-hand side after the end of the dual carriageway. We've got about 100 acres down there, which is all predominantly forage and um, grazing land
0: for these animals. So let's now go on to the next there There's so many questions coming off just that first you know, little paragraph of yours, if you like. So robotics, that's fascinating. Yes. How, when did you start? That? How did you get into the robotic milking of cows? Well, we, we needed
1: to reinvest in the, in the milking parlour because we put a secondhand milking parlour in when we first bought the farm in 2007. And whilst it was secondhand and it did the job and it was fine, it needed a little bit more investment into it, so I needed to upgrade it. Whilst the metalwork and steelwork was fine, the electronics behind it needed to have a little bit more. So um, we looked at the costs of it, and yes, we could have we could have put something in for a lot cheaper. But then I also need to man it. So if you, and of course, labour in the East Anglia, especially with dairy labour, is very, very short. So not only with labour, you you obviously have to provide a house as well. So, and all of a sudden the numbers get very, very big. And with 50 cows in milk, probably not going to stack up, to be honest. So we looked at all sorts of different options. And whilst chatting with the dairy engineer about putting a bigger system in, he said, well, of course, you could go down the robotic route. And we thought about it, and to be honest, it was a bit of a no-brainer towards the end, because the actual milk increase pays for the repayments for this, for this robot. So it works quite well.
0: That's amazing. And so, so just tell us a little bit about how that works.
1: So they leave the shed or they leave the paddocks, and they walk down to their own free will. They'll walk into a pen on their own through a one-way gate, like a saloon like you see in the Westerns through a one-way gate, and these cows will then walk and wait because they're British cows and they like Kiwi. So they'll <laughs> wait, they'll wait behind this robotic machine. And all it is, it's a, it's a, it's a framework the size of a cow. So at on one side, on the on the right-hand side, the gate will open. Cow walks in. Gate shut, and the cow is then almost trapped inside this cage, so to speak. Um, She's given some food and the muck plate will move up one end, plate will go down the other end and we have a robotic arm with a laser on it, will go underneath the cow by her back legs and it will scan to find out where these teats are. The cow is already identified with a transponder in the right ear so the machine knows who she is and the arm will then pick up a wash cluster, wash and strip each cusp and then test the milk. if it's suitable it will pick up another cluster and it will milk all four teats but it will also then record exactly how much milks come off each quarter and the quality behind that as well and it will and it's and it's everything is monitored so it's temperature electrolytes and cells mastitis blood you name it it's all monitored if it's good milk it will go into the tank pumped up, chilled, put into the tank. If it's bad milk, so if it's one of those parameters which aren't right, it go down on, onto the floor. An alarm will be sent to my phone and she'll be separated into another pen as she leaves. So it's ready for the vet to be checked out. So it's very, very simple, but it's much better than anybody could ever um, design. Or you imagine if you're in a milking parlor, you see that cow twice a day. Well, is it in this, robot or this voluntary milking system, she's monitored three, four times a day. So it's little and often really. So it's, it, and it works really, really well.
0: And I guess if you were um, dealing with them manually, would you be able to identify those issues in quite the yeah. same way? Yes, she can, but
1: you're physically doing it. So if you can physically see it, clots, blood, watery milk, great chew the cow, you know, treat the cow with the vet and make sure she's fine. However, there's, also, there's, a, there's a time lag between you actually seeing it and when the robot sees it. So the robot will see it a lot, lot quicker than you ever could. And sometimes you'll never ever see it, but these cows are then separated, treated, checked. Sometimes the robot gets it wrong. It can be a bit sensitive keep an eye on it but then you then you know in your mind you're actually looking at this and it's and it's it's a huge management tool for everybody sometimes it can give you too much information
0: <laughs> especially if you're getting messages to your phone at two in the morning
1: at two in the morning but they <laughs> you see but there's a the but between nine at night and seven and seven in the morning i will only get a red alarms
0: so that's alarms
1: which are um uh, machines shut down or pipes off or something major anything like low milk yield on about right quarter is is sent to you and thought, oh well that will be all right she'll get it next time but it's always in your mind to that you'll be able to check it
0: so of course the ignorant individual that i am is thinking how do these cows understand that uh, they need to do that
1: well they go for food
0: right okay so it's like giving
1: a child a bunch of haribo or maltesers when they go in look if you go over there i'll give you some haribos see so they'll go in and they think well actually i went in there an hour ago so i'm not going to get any food this time but these cows are very very clever in that they will only go back at six and a half hours you know cows aren't stupid they know when 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 they're going to get allows some food in there so they don't go in because they want to be milked they go in for the food and that's what attracts them in there
0: amazing so you end up with this milk and then you say some of it is sold on site
1: yes some of it's sold on site so probably about 50 litres a day 50 to 70 litres a day either sold through semi or whole milk and this is pasteurized this isn't raw so we pasteurise it all on the farm because there's different scenarios about raw and pasteurised milk. But we've only ever sold pasteurised milk. So we so we pasteurise our milk and we skim some of the, the milk off and that's our skim milk. And then we sell some cream as well in the shop. But that also goes to an ice cream maker as well, as well as some milk. So there's different sort of avenues which we're going down. So that's so the milk is sold through a separate um. A separate shed on the farm, but also there's um, a syrup shed as well, so people can buy flavored milks. They put a couple of pumps of flavored milk, so it chocolate be your chocolate, your banana, your strawberry, whatever. Pump it into the milk, flavored milk. It's a bit like a milkshake, so that's got flavored milks there. But then also, but predominantly, the cheeses. The milk's made into cheese: Suffolk Gold, Suffolk Blue, and Suffolk Brie, which is a bit sort of. Um, unique free sangria anyway and people get very excited over
0: it well i must confess i had some Suffolk gold cheese for christmas last year and it was amazing absolutely amazing Um, talk us through the differences between those i I hope people will be salivating as they i'm a big cheese (laughs) fan but talk us through those cheeses and and well how did you decide to do them how did you um create them and what's the process involved in each of them So if we start with the Suffolk Gold, for
1: instance, that's our most mature one. I say most mature, it's probably only 10 weeks on average. Sometimes it's older, sometimes it's younger, depending on the demand of what we get. And we develop that on the back of a a gouda recipe. Now, when somebody says gouda, they go, oh, disgusting e But this is different. This is... Um, Start with the best products, so raw products. So you start with your fresh milk, and and it's literally fresh, because it's the same day. And we heat it up, we put some starch and some rennet in there, and then we'll wash the curds off. with really, really hot water. and That's washing the curds, making them squeaky. And then we'll pull out these curds. That's like your, you know, like your curds in your way. The curds will be picked out, put into a draining vessel, pressed overnight, put it into the store, and that's nine, ten weeks later, you've ended up with a rind, a bit like a a musty old rindy cheese, which you cut into it, and it's a sort of a yellowy, um, semi-hard cheese. Sometimes we have holes in it, which is quite nice, but it will depend on the colour of it, depending on what the cows have eaten in the previous time. Okay, So sometimes if it's springtime, it'll be slightly golden and, and so forth. The blue, well, Catherine loves blue cheese. So she thought she'll develop a blue cheese. And this is a soft blue. So this is almost like San Aguil, almost spreadable. And again, it's mold ripened and there's veins inside it as well, but only veins when it's been pierced and the air has got inside it. So if you pierce it and it's a soft blue, the whole seal back up and you don't get blue mold inside it. That's about five or six weeks old. And then we've got our brie. It's a tiny little brie, about size of a small dinner plate. And that again, that's um, it's a delicate, fresh, not as strong as a camembert, but just it's just a lovely, lovely individual brie cheese. And that's about four or five weeks old as well.
0: Right. OK. And how do you get those to market? Do you just sell those within the shop or do, you, do they go elsewhere?
1: Everything, I'd say 95% of our trade is sold on word of mouth. So um, the wholesaler will always buy it. He takes it to the um, farm shops and delis. And so this will start distributing throughout East Anglia. And so they'll, they'll, they'll order their blue, their gold and their brie and it will and get dispensed. So which is which is a slight problem when somebody phones up and said, I live in Berry." Where do I find the cheese? I'm not really sure, to be honest, which <laughs> sounds a bit sort of irresponsible on our behalf, but we don't actually know where it ends up. So what, what we could do is say to the wholesaler, look, do you supply Berry? And if so, which shop in Berry do you supply our cheeses to? And work around it that way. Or say to the customer, phone the wholesaler up, ask them where they send it. and Or they could come to our shop on the farm and they can buy it
0: direct from us. So all the things we've just talked through, you have on the on the farm, but there's obviously a proportion that then go out to the wholesaler, sure. and then most most of it will actually go um, through wholesaler. So how how long have you been producing cheese? There.
1: Well, I started making or we started making cheese in 2004.
0: Right. So before so, you'd moved to the farm.
1: Just going back slightly, I was a herdsman. at Shrubland Estate in Codman, for Lord and Lady the Summary. And I was looking after their 100 cows, black and white cows. And around the 2003, 2004 mark, it really, things weren't really starting to stack up financially for the dairy. So it was made, the decision was made that there would be a dispersal herd and I would be made redundant. At that point, Catherine, My wife was on maternity leave with James, who was six weeks old. Emily, my daughter, was two. And I came home with the news that I was now redundant, but also we were living in tight accommodation as well at the same time, because I came with a job. So effectively, I've got no job. I've got a young family, and I'm out on the streets. And because we've got a young family, we've got no money. So, So we're broke as well. So we sat down with a bottle of wine that night, and we said, right, what would be our, our ideal thing to do? So we thought, well, what we'll do is we'll, um, I've always wanted my own cows. We've always wanted our own herd of cows. So we thought, what we'll do is we'll go and buy some cows and we'll add a high, make a high value product. And we'll rent the buildings where I was being a herdsman on Shropshire at the state and see what happens. Well, over the course of time, we did buy these cows. We bought some Guernsey cows because Guernsey cows are a little bit different. And we started making a little bit of cheese and we started selling it into farmer's market. Catherine's doing, um, doing, uh, looking after the kids and doing a bit of veterinary jobs and bit, a bit of everything really. And I was out there making the cheese and we were selling it and working it together. And as months went on, we soon came to realise, we thought, well, actually, this thing's quite good. Let's, let's just you finish being the vet for now and come into the cheese room and make the cheeses. Kids are a bit older, so they go to preschool and nursery. You come make the cheese and we'll run with it and see what happens. So we did. And that lasted three years. And three years later, we thought, well, actually, we've outgrown in the the estate now. And Lord and Lady de Sombray had moved back to Guernsey. They'd moved to the family seat in Guernsey and they'd sold the estate. So we thought, well, let's get out of here. Let's buy our own farm and set it up. So, we found a derelict pig unit, creating St. Mary, and we thought, yeah, we'll do it. So, we rebuilt the house and we built a
0: farm on it. Wow, well, goodness me. So, effectively, everything you built from scratch in 2007, yes. effectively. Yes. Um, but the experience of making the cheese had started three years previously. Sure. The previous yes. roll, right. So, yes. uh, so is it that in 2004 when you started the cheesemaking that you developed yes. these three different cheeses started, or did one come first? And then... We
1: started with Suffolk Gold to start with. And then when Catherine joined the, into the business as a practical cheesemaker, she started making the blue and the brie. And um, to be honest, I wasn't very good
0: at making cheese. <laughs> you know, so really, it, is it this is sort of Catherine's uh, it, it, <laughs> it, expertise? It's a, so
1: it, You have to be extremely fanatical over not only cleanliness, but the how everything behaves when you go through it. And as a herds person, when you come in, milk the cows, you know, oh, my God, I've got mates of cheese now, and you dash off and do that. Now I've got a cow carving. Now the phone's going. Now something else has happened. You need somebody, a cheese maker, needs to go in there and say, right, I'm focused on making cheese now. It doesn't. I don't need to do the school run. I can't afford to do the school run, I, I can't do deliveries, it doesn't matter for cows carving, I've got to set in and set my mind to it. Mm-hmm. And I found that very difficult because I'm always dashing about doing separate things. So she, when she came in, she focused on it. And of course, because the cheeses were better, we sold more of them. So it was a double-edged sword really. And um, you know, we, we tried, but it, we just kept going. <laughs>
0: Very good. so uh, everything had progressed from 2007. Um, yes. Just just one before we then explore where you are now and what's happened over the last little while, uh, yes. what's the impact of is, is there a sign of more people sort of heading into veganism as um, an option and, and what threats does that have to you as a business?
1: Well, we've always been very very open with people on the farm. We've, we've never shied away from telling people exactly how it is. And it, I mean, for instance, we have a, a viewing area for when the ca- people come watch the cows get milk And we and the, and the people in Suffolk are very keen on saying hello and say, is everything all right? Have you got any questions? Are you happy about everything? You know, um, about two or three years ago, we did an Open Farm Sunday, a big national event where we where farmers open up their, their farm gates and people come onto the farm for a look round and we and we encourage that immensely. And this one particular year, a couple of years ago, we had two and a half thousand people turn up and on our little farm, that's quite a lot. But within those two and a half thousand people, there are a handful of animal rights and vegan activists. And they turned up with the whole intention, not just to look around and have a chat with us, but to become, be, be a bit of a nuisance really, and try to preach to people about how we shouldn't be milking cows, and how cruel it is, and all this sort of thing. Unfortunately, they picked the wrong event, because the two and a half thousand people who turned up were generally interested in what went on, and they were expecting us to have cows hidden around the back, and they weren't very happy. Well, in fact, one of the remarks we had was, the cows don't look very happy because they're not smiling. And we said, well, I've never seen a cow smile yet, because it doesn't work that way. In the end, I had one of these guys come and I had a chat with him in the office and I said, look, I said, we're never going to agree. I do my job, you have your beliefs, and you do what you want. However, give me, I'll give you five minutes and I'll and I'll listen to you face to face. And then I'll give you five minutes. And at the end of it, we'll shake hands and we'll walk out. So he said, that's fine. He said something, he went away. And, he, and to start with, he gave me his, a, a wrong name, a false name. Um, and he, it was very, very scripted. And at the end of it, I said, look, this is what happens. And I don't hide anything. He said, oh yes, but you take calves off the cow. I said, look, if I don't take the cow, calf off the cow, she's gonna give me 40 liters of milk a day and the calf can't drink it. The cow's gonna die because she's got all the milk in it. and." She, the calf will probably die because it's going to get trampled because I've left it on the calf. And when I when I actually explained these things to this this gentleman, he actually got it and it was fine. I said, but we're never going to agree. Which is one of the reasons why I make cheese with vegetarian rennet, because we're never going to agree, but we're doing our best, you know. And their farm is open all the time. If anybody wants to come down and have a look, rum-
0: well is there an impact on your business as a result of perhaps more plump you haven't noticed anything No, no, would that be just because you know yours is not a factory product this is something that people can see they can observe they can see that it's local that you know the the cows are grazing locally they're not being forced to anything and you think that actually people are purchasing more of a quality product that you produce yeah without a doubt we're not we're not the
1: average farm I'll hold my hands up. We're not the average dairy farm at all. And one, we're in the wrong area. You know, we're in Suffolk where the grass doesn't grow. We have less rain than Tel Aviv there. So, but we're open all the time. And I believe a lot of farms aren't open for people to literally speak to the person who's at the, at the sharp end and doing it. But, yeah, we are quite unique, really, when it comes to that.
0: So you'd obviously built this business over you know, several years. and. Um, sure. But then something has changed, and this is one yes. of the reasons why we're having this conversation because just I mean, just that story on its own is remarkable, but you're not currently in Suffolk as I'm speaking no. to you now. No, I'm not. Um, so about three, four years ago, there was a
1: BBC appeal went on, a BBC breakfast for um, a dairy farmer needed on the Isle of Sark in the Channel Islands. And we looked at it and we thought, you know what, we love Sark, it's a beautiful little island. And um, why don't we just phone them up, send them an email and see what they say. Well, that was three years ago and three years later, I'm sitting here in Sark with a new dairy behind me. So um, things have, obviously COVID has changed the, um, the way things have worked slightly, but um, basically I'm in Sark, but Catherine, my wife is in Suffolk. And she's, and she's dealing with that end at the moment, until she comes and joins me, um, because we needed to get things rocking and rolling at this end, so yeah, so I'm I'm Sark's dairy farmer.
0: Yeah, well, this is a story in itself, so we really need to explore this a little bit, so you saw this uh, news item, and I think we've probably yes. all seen things like that, haven't they, you know, somebody who's going to be, I don't know, looking after a Pacific Island or something right. and think, oh that's an yes. amazing role but yes. it seems as though that really resonated with you oh yes what was, what was the process from you seeing this through to being offered the role
1: the the trustee from Cambridge came over and had a had a look and and basically he was with us for about 10 hours and he said look if you could <laughs> pick the Suffolk farm up and bring it to Suffolk that'd be ideal So I said, well, yeah, but we can't really do that. One, the price of electricity is astronomically high here. and We couldn't have a robot. We couldn't do this, that, and the other. And he said, oh, well, maybe we could build something. Maybe we could put some money together and build a dairy. Maybe we could do something. So I thought, well, okay. Um, But he said, you are the dynamic couple. You're the couple which we need. Because obviously Catherine is, is the vet as well. So he said, You're you both process milk, you're husband, she's a vet, the island hasn't got a vet, so let's let's get you over. So he said, All you've got to do is bring your cows. I said, Well, that's fine. He said, I've got <laughs> excess cows, so I can bring those, that's not a problem. Then as time went on, we came to realize that actually we couldn't bring cows from the UK into the bailiwick of Guernsey, so we had to sell some cows in order to buy some cows from Guernsey here, and it's been those sort of um, trials and tribulations we've had for the last three
0: years so We're it all seems so easy on paper but actually there are some complications that no one has thought about huge logistics is the main one
1: um yeah getting things from the uk to guernsey is relatively straightforward you take um pallet loads or people will take pallet loads to pool they get it onto the, sh- onto the cargo ship. Cargo ship comes over the English Channel twice a week, unload it, stick it onto the key for Sark shipping. Sark shipping picks it up and takes it to Sark. Except as soon as Sark shipping gets hold of it, the price doubles. So instead of it costing 350 pounds to get to Guernsey, it costs me 700 pounds to get to Sark, from Guernsey to Sark. And then it gets craned off, so I've got a cranage fee. Then it goes on to a tractor and trailer, so I've then got a carter's fee of about another 60 quid. So all of a sudden, it gets very, very, very expensive. But everything is expensive here. Electricity, 58 pence a kilowatt. So everything is, is solar or renewable or
0: heat source. So, Jeff, for those who don't know, and I'm sure many people don't know, tell us a bit about the island of Sark, its size, its population, its proximity to the other Channel Islands.
1: So if you look at um, look at the bay in, um, look for France, and then look to the sort of the bottom end of France, but just near the top, sort of Normandy way, you'll see a dish. And inside that dish are the Channel Islands. So you've got Guernsey to start with, and then you, as you look at the map towards the right, you've got Albany, and then you've got Herm, just below Guernsey, and then just below Herm, you've got Sark, and then you've got Jersey. So we're about 12 to 15 miles south of Guernsey, and it's three and a half miles long and one and a half miles wide. We have no street lights, so it's the world's first dark sky island. And when I say it's dark at night, it's immensely dark. You can't see your hand in front of the face, it's that dark. There are no cars, there's no um, roads, it's just a dirt dirt track. And there's about 500 people live here. But because it's so tranquil, we get in the region between 50 and 60,000 tourists a year will come up for a look around the gardens, go for a tranquil walk,
0: go on horse and carriage ride, and go and eat in fabulous restaurants. So do people come for a day visit from one of the other Channel Islands or do yeah. they come and stay for a period of time?
1: The only way you could get here
0: is by um, flying into Guernsey
1: or getting to Guernsey by boat if you're from the UK. we So we do get people from Guernsey who will come over um, for the day, but there are four hotels here and a number of guest houses as well so people can stay. Um, but there's no, there's no landing strip or no... Um, no flights or anything. We're, in fact, anybody coming over is not allowed to fly under two and a half thousand feet. So it's um, there's a no-fly zone around the island as well. There's no drones either. So it's um, it's quite a very tranquil island. In fact, if I look across to my left out the window, I've got the Isles of, um, of Herm over there with Shell Beach and the sun's, it's actually really warm today. We're about 22 degrees today. So it's, it's, it's a lovely day
0: today. Yeah, fantastic. We're recording this beginning of October, so that's pretty good going for October. Yes. Um, that's, that's fantastic. So just coming back to why a dairy is needed on Sark. So you've got a population of 500 yes. and four hotels. So yes. that gives us some idea how many people might be staying in yes. addition to the 500 residents. Yes. Uh, is that enough to support a dairy?
1: Um,
0: there's a couple of shops as well, so we've got those as well. Um,
1: at the moment, I only milk 10 cows, so yes, it is enough at the moment. But when the tourists come through, because everybody wants their cream teas, so we'll be making cream for the cream teas, and, and that will kick off next spring. Um, so there's just about enough people. You wouldn't want loads and loads of it. There was a dairy farmer which was um, resigned, uh, sorry, retired about four years ago, and Sark w- was buying and importing milk from Guernsey. So really, the, the, the locals really didn't want this. So they wanted to um, have their own dairy. So they put their hand in their pocket and they raised the money for it.
0: Wow, never I that's incredible. So is the objective, going back to your um, trustee from Cambridge who came across and had a look, is yes. your objective to, to replicate what you've been doing in Suffolk? Uh,
1: yes, but on a lot smaller scale. We've, as you can imagine, we've worked our fingers to the bone at the moment, and we are just doing absolutely everything for everybody with the cheese and the ice cream and the milk and everything else. And it's come a point where you think, do you know what? We've been there, done that. But I love milking cows. I love looking after the animals. I actually like, quite like processing a bit of milk. Um, but let's do it. Let's continue to do it. But let's do it on a lot, lot smaller scale. We can take that box in Suffolk now because we've done that. But let's not, re- not retire, but let's just slow down a little bit and enjoy what we have around us. And, of course, if you do it in an area which is beautiful and tranquil, you're on a winner all the time. It's, you, know, you, can't, you can't beat it, really.
0: Mm. So you're going to retain the Suffolk farm, but have that managed in your absence? Correct, yes. And then you and Catherine are going to run... Um, the operation in Sark and Catherine then provide her professional work across the island as well. That's the idea yeah that's the idea. Yeah. Very good so how does that look to the you know into the future then um, Jason how how do you see that panning out? Well
1: the whole idea of um, of doing what we do here is to train the next generation up and hopefully we'll, we will find, in fact, there are people chomping at the bit out there to come and look at the dairy and do the dairy stuff as well. So the idea is that we will train up uh, people on the island in order to do what we do. And then eventually, maybe five, five years, maybe, let's say, OK, we set the dairy up. We've got the farm in Suffolk. Do we go back to Suffolk or do we buy a farm? Buy a house in Sark and retire out in the warm, I and mean, it's lovely—a tr- a tranquil pace of life—and be there and done that. But you, but sometimes you should have, you know, people. We often think, oh, you should have a five-year plan. You should know where you're going in five years. Yeah, we've done that, and really, we just need to, you know, let's just suck it and see for a while and see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, it might be too early to to have a feel for that isn't it so how long now have you been in operation in sark beginning of august so not very long at all i've been coming
1: back and forth for probably the last two to three years but um we've i've actually been living here on sark since the beginning of august
0: right and where are you in the whole process at the moment of what you're building and the The number of cows, was it 10 cows? 10 cows at the moment. So
1: there are 17 on the farm at the moment. So that's young stock and calves as well. I've got two more due to, yeah, two more due to calves before Christmas. And then I've got three more to carve in February as well. So, you know, the the numbers are there. At the moment, we're just ticking over quietly. At the moment, I'm selling milk through a vending machine and supplying the, the, the shops and the odd establishment as well. And I also have a syrup shed here as well. So just like we have in Suffolk, people can come and buy flavoured milks and they love it. It's absolutely great. And um, so at the moment, because I'm on my own, I'm just doing milk because it's quite obviously quite difficult to run a business here, albeit small, as well as speaking to the people in Suffolk with Catherine's help and trying to push as much sales as we can on this end as well and sort out
0: all the logistics. Yeah, it's an awful lot of plates to keep spinning there. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating as to how you're, you're progressing that. Now, of course, you've just made reference to something that I thought, oh, I've got to explore this. So there's obviously some biology involved in this, but you've got um, some cows that uh, are, in, are in calf at the moment or expecting calves. Um, so that must mean somewhere along the line, there's been a bull involved somewhere. Now. How's that happening? Do you have one already on the island or have you? you had to, yeah. oh, this is intriguing. Okay, so before
1: I was a herdsman with Lord and Lady de Summeray in 2004, I was an artificial inseminator. Ah. Okay, so I have that skill. So I have a flask of bull semen on the farm, and when a particular cow comes in season, I can say, Right, I'm going to use. That bull on that cow and thaw it out, put it in the cow. And that's what I'm trained to do. And those cows are in calf.
0: Well, that's remarkable, haven't
1: <laughs> <it>? <laughs> <Simple> <laughs> is that, really.
0: Oh, well, that was so easy after all that. Uh, I didn't really think of that particular yeah. solution. But then, uh, yeah. there is
1: a farm on Little Sark as well. There's, one, there's a, a guy down on Little Sark, which is the next sort of, is joined by the coupier, which is like a, a rock, basically. And he has a bull. So if, I, if something drastically went wrong, if I broke my arm and we needed a bull, we can get one from Philip and Philip can walk you up the road. So it's, it's a little <laughs> random, but remember that these bulls are like, this is, could be, oh, that's Billy Joe from down the road, you know. But the bulls I use are the best genetics,
0: whereas his will be years old from his best count. Right, goodness me, I, yeah. Well, of course, these are all the things you've got to be thinking about. But you were way, way ahead of that. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, and again, is, is robotics part of the story in Sark? No, because of the price of electricity, right? And the sheer numbers. You,
1: if you had a robot here, it would be a, a lot of downtime. Um, the cost of it would be astronomical, and not only that, if it goes wrong. At least I've got an engineer near to Suffolk, 45 minutes away. For here, you're probably looking at two to three days to get anybody in. So, um, actually, the the winter time, I have uh, two or three boats a week. So that's not too bad. But in the summer, I have a boat every day, twice, three times a day
0: to get the tourists in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what are the, how do you sort of see the next few months? And at what point will Catherine be coming to join you as far as you can? Excited. as far
1: as i'm aware she's she'll she'll get over as soon as she can and we have no date at the moment of when that's done i'm hoping she's going to come over in the next few weeks with a bit of luck yeah. um christmas time well i don't know what's going to happen anything could happen at christmas time but there are people here which will certainly look after me
0: yeah. and um,
1: you know it's it's a fabulous community it's like living in a, a very tight-knit village um You know i'm i'm often out to dinner two or three times a week with people so it's quite nice really.
0: oh very nice very good lovely well that's been absolutely fascinating um jason thank you so much for your time to just explore all of this and we trust everything goes well obviously in sark but uh, that everything will continue to go well in suffolk as well because it seems like you built an absolutely amazing business there as well brilliant well thank you very much for your time So we wish Jason and Catherine all the very best as they continue to build their new business in Sark and as they manage remotely their business in Suffolk and we trust that all goes from strength to strength. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Suffolk Money Podcast. Just to recap, we focus on situations where money is used in Suffolk and ultimately there are only three things that you can do with it you can spend it you can save it or you can give it away if there's a story related to that that you would like to tell us about then please do get in touch you can contact us through our website or through our Facebook page so I want to say very uh, grateful thanks to uh, Sally and to Kevin for all the work they do behind the scenes and Joy as well who helps us put everything online. We hope that you'll be in touch with us and we hope that you'll tune in very soon for our next episode of the Suffolk Money Podcast.